know, there was like a 10% chance of survival if it spread past my leg. Uh, and then if it hadn't spread, there was a better chance of survival, but I would never be able to play football again. Like I wouldn't be able to walk without crutches. Like it was like, or, you know, if I did, it would be with a limp. So it was like a very uh, grim outlook for what was even possible. Uh, and I, oh my gosh. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was like, it was, it was insane. Welcome back to the Harvester Sports Podcast. I'm Noah. I'm Austin. And today we are joined by a very special guest, yep. 2008 ACC Defensive Player of the Year, Super Bowl 46 champion, New York Giants linebacker. Look at that. Baker, not Bakersfield College, <laughs> from DC, Boston College legend, and co-host of the Superhero Dads podcast, Mark Herzlick. Yeah, we're also joined by our wow. boy DCA, but we all know who he is. We're not. Yeah, he doesn't him. get the like you know, introduction. He's in here too much. You know. Can you imagine if you would have done all that going to BC? In <laughs> yeah, right. <If> yeah. <laughs> drafted all the way from Bakersfield College. Besides putting the wrong BC is a clean introduction, though. Yeah, so. it was pretty clean. I was proud of it. So, <laughs> um, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, so let's talk. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, college, Mark, because I know it was like Boston's a big thing for you. I know you named your son after it, right? So, what is like, what was what did Boston College do for you? Because I know it's a big uh, part of your life. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, good question. Because it's funny, you think about college a certain way when you're going to college or preparing for college, and you think about college a way different way when you're, you know, been out of college for 10 plus years where you think, okay. Like, what did it do? And so, I mean, the number one thing that it did, I met my wife there. I met Danielle there. Yeah. Um, who, you know, you, you know, Austin, um, Auntie Danielle, whatever you want to call her, like the big that. D, whatever, you know, <laughs> the, the enforcer. Maybe she's the enforcer because she sets rules in the car household when she comes to town. That was my um, favorite aspect of anytime you guys come over is that <laughs> I don't have to parent. Danielle is going to take care of everything I'm too uncomfortable to take. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which is pretty much everything. Yeah, um, everything. And, and uh, so, yeah, so, so met her, but I think, you know, th there was a, uh, there was a mindset going to college for a sport that uh, you, you are going yes, to get an education and, and BC is not a, you know, it's not an NFL pipeline by any means. You know, there, there's a bunch of guys who do go every year, but it's not an Alabama, not an LSU type type school. So, you know, my choice of school was to go to a place that had the best academics and athletics combination that I could find. And uh, it, it so happened that BC was my choice. It I loved it. I mean, it was uh, it was a time that I got to, um, you know, my, my hand wasn't held anymore. Uh, and, you know, I think I, you know, a lot of growing up, that was the case, not in a bad way, just my parents were there and present. And, you know, they, you know, if I forgot to do something, they would have my back, right? Mm -hmm. And there's no nothing wrong with having your kids back however it, it was a great opportunity for me now to not have that uh and to you know find the importance of responsibility in day-to-day -day activities um and then it was fun too i mean you know that that's the other part too like you're learning how to be independent and deal with you know the consequences of your actions but also you can have a blast yeah. and you know just meet people and do things and just I don't know, not clean up your room if you don't like just little things like that. Uh, so, I mean, I, that's, I loved it. I, I loved college. I thought it was awesome. I would, uh, I debate, I've debated and Dave, you, you probably be interested. 
have you debated at certain times where you're like, man, I wish I could go back to college, but like, eh, life's good now too. You know, like 100%. there's always that like moment where you're like, I've gotten past the point where I wish I was back in college and more for most are scared that you could be back in college and that'd be a problem. Yeah. I think that that <laughs> like there's a, I was, I was listening to something the other day and they said, would you, would you go back to college or go back to maybe even high school or before, like around that time uh, with the guarantee of the job that you have now? Um, or would you rather go back and just experience it all over again and do it with the knowledge that you have? And I'm like, mm. oh, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't know if I'd go back. I mean, no, you had a pretty good job. Yeah. Right. So it's yeah. like, I think that I'm going to take the job I have and like, it's a, it's a progression. And I think that's yeah. the cool part about college is you have to kind of go through that experience of kind of getting out on your own and not cleaning your room and seeing what the um, repercussions of that are and like the stuff that even goes outside your room like okay if I don't do this what happens or what happens if I sacrifice some time for some future benefit does that work yeah mm. it does and you have to kind of find that out on your own because I think before that before the college experience before you're out on your own you're kind of like oh my parents told me to do this so yeah. I guess I better just do it, but there's no real ownership of it. So yeah, that's and you wouldn't awesome. you could, you don't know this. Maybe you know you guys have felt for, but like I, because you've been with Melody for your entire life, Dave. But like I got my heart broken for the first time in college too, which mm -hmm. I don't know. Like that is something that no one tells you about. That's going to happen. <laughs> oh yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Where's some heartbroken yeah. okay, boys yeah. over here, man? <laughs> Bro, it's, it's, it's like a legit problem. Like that you're like okay. Uh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, a, you know, I'm independent. Like I can do it. But then she's like, I don't want to be with you. And you're like, I can't do anything. Like, you know, like <laughs> yeah. it's just, a, it was bad. But like, at the same time, you get past it and you're like, okay, you know, I can be by myself. Right. There, there's, and, yeah. and then that becomes a whole mm -hmm. different type of empowerment where you're like, you know, you know, it's not, you know, not like, hey, I, like I don't need a, a girl, like, but it's like, it's okay if it does, like a relationship doesn't work out, and you know, yeah. that holds true with friendships or anything like that. But um, I know that was another big thing, and well, I think yeah, I mean, like to to that point, I think you have to um, you have to become a, a man first before, yes, because you see so many people now, like they start dating or they're thinking about, you know dating and it's like they're two kids that are dating like there's no what is right that's not the point of of a marriage or a spouse that the point is for the man to become a man and then be able to provide for a household or have uh his stuff together enough to where you can take on the responsibility of a wife and a family yeah and and actually be attractive to a possible wife like before that you're just kind right. of hanging out and your friends but it's like right. the, the guy that has all the stuff together that gets it like that is the most attractive person I would imagine. Right. Those are the people that like if I'm sitting here and a, a 16 year old kid comes up like I, I think I told Tyler Austin this example. <laughs> I want to know exactly where the Check rest this of the story is going. <laughs> Just this, is, here it is. this started. I'm, I'm about to go. Saying that you know, the most attractive thing out there is a guy who has it all to put together. And then if a 16 year old comes up to you. so. <laughs> Please finish that part before you go off on a right, tangent. Right before I might want to specify, don't transcribe this. Just listen to the whole thing. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay. So here's what happens. Okay. So like for example, I was talking to Tyler about this, and I'm like, okay. So take your sister Grace. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm not gonna let just some random 
16 year old high school kid come up and take her out on a date because right. like you wouldn't do that if you had a ferrari parked in the driveway would you let a 16 year old mm -hmm. show up be like hi mr carr hi mark hi mr herslick can i have the keys to your ferrari you'd be like mm -hmm. absolutely not but we do it with our daughters so it's like right there's something and disconnected and if, there right and, and and to that point is if that same 16 year old comes up to you and says Hey, Mr. Carr. Oh, that's a nice Ferrari. This that this type of Ferrari with this type of engine and this yes. type of hand. Oh, what? Like you can go take it for a spin. You know yes. about this car. Yeah. Same Absolutely thing if a sixteen-year-old right. comes up and is like, "Oh my gosh, you know, I've had such a good time with your daughter. I love how she's into whatever she's into." And you're like, "Oh wow, you actually have, care about her enough to exactly know about it." Then then you feel okay. Like I feel a lot more comfortable with that. Yes, feel a lot more comfortable with that. Right. I, I get I yeah. get that a lot because you know I grew up you know with our boy DCA and I've definitely had times where he's like like high school crushes or high school girlfriends where he's told me he's like you're just not ready for this girlfriend. I'm like shut up, dude. You're not. I don't know what you're talking about. You're not ready. You're not ready. And then it happens, and then you're like you know what? You're totally right. I was not ready. Like you're 100 <laughs> speaking the facts right DC now. DC knows all. I'm just yeah. speaking through experience. <laughs> it's not even like. I think that's so funny is like when I found out that my dad actually maybe was making sense sometimes I was like, and then I asked him, he's like, I just did the same stupid stuff. So I just happened to have that experience. So it's like, it's not like we have this incredible vat of wisdom that we can just tap into. It was just like, we've gone through life before we knew we weren't ready. And like, I can see that. All right, dude, you're not ready for this girlfriend. There's always something right. about like you, uh, like someone telling you something and you know they're right, but now you want to like beg that they're wrong. You know what I'm saying? Like that was the big thing. Yeah. I was like, like in the back of my head, I was like, I know he's right, but I'm now I'm going to try to fight my hardest to prove him wrong. <laughs> like I was like one of the biggest things always. Right. There's benefits to that too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? So, for sure. Uh, Mark, about college and stuff, was Boston like your number one choice? Was that like, like how did that go? Like, how, what was like getting there? Yeah. Good question. Um, yeah, so I, you know, the way football recruiting was, I was a three-star recruit out of uh, outside Philadelphia, and um, yeah, I was being recruited by like I guess you know, the kind of the Boston College caliber. You know, it was Boston College, Penn State, Minnesota, UVA, like kind of that higher academic, but also pretty decent yeah. football. Um, and so. Uh, Took a bunch of visits, you know, unofficial visits. We did basically did a road trip through the Northeast and Boston College, was one of the stops, and um, you know, so Harvard and a bunch of other places. UVA was like, for some reason, was like my number one choice throughout high school. Like, I just I loved UVA. I I had been down there. I had a friend who went there and had visited, and I was like, man, this place is sweet. Yeah. And I went down, um, and actually originally verbally committed to UVA. Um, didn't have a great trip. Uh, when I took an official visit, um, and I think there were players there at the time that I was staying with that did not like the coaching staff that was there. And they were like, I remember specifically being like, bro, like, good luck. Like, good <laughs> yeah. luck. I'm like, what do you mean? Good luck. It's like, good luck. Like, you're so screwed. And that's what I felt like after I was like, what do you mean? I'm so screwed. Like, this is exciting. Yeah. Um, and so that, Actually, I you know had called the coaches um, and was like, "Hey, you know, I got just got back from this trip, and it was not a great trip. You know, they they left me at a party. So like, you know, the people that I was with, we go to a party, and so this will get this will get into like the real recruiting stuff. So yeah. like, we go to a party. Uh, so first, actually, so this is 
Now, this will not make this sound good, but uh, this is my recruiting trip, right? So I, I, I'm go at, at school. I'm with this host um, players. And after the game, I remember we come back to their, uh, their room to like pregame, you know, in, which great. Their version of pregaming was playing poker with like us four dudes in the room and watching hardcore porn on their T on their nice, TV. Nice. UVA. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, I don't know if this is what college is, but like this doesn't, this is like wacky. Like it didn't feel, yeah. right. I was like, feel what right. is going on? Yeah. And, and so like, you know, I chalked that up to like, okay, maybe this is what people do in college. Like, yeah. I don't know. Um, so, you know, we, we go out that night, we go to a party um, and we get there and I'm at, you know, at the, I'm at the party. I don't really know anyone, obviously. And, you know, so goes on. Then the night starts getting towards the end and I'm looking for the people, my hosts, and they're gone. Like there's no one. They're gone. Yeah, like, I don't know guys. where they are. And so actually, so Chris Long, um, he was, I think, a senior at UVA at the time. And I had barely met him before, but I saw him and he was there. And I said, hey, uh, I don't know where my host went like i don't know where they even live i don't i don't know what anything about this yeah um and so he he drove me back to my other friend from high school's apartment and so i stayed there and like Ooh. that was my trip so like <laughs> that's not I, good back, I'm like, Virginia. <laughs> not a good look uh and and so then i call him like hey i'm not you know i'm not really sure i'm also looking at bc but i wanted to tell you first that that i'm going to go up to bc because i already verbally committed just to be up front and they sent coaches the next day and basically sat me down in my you know coach's little like you know five by five office that high school football coaches get in you know eastern pennsylvania and they basically talked to me for like an hour and a half about why you know they can't trust me anymore or why oh, you know nice. i got you nice. know who knows if my scholarships you waiting for for me and so i i was like look you know i i'm out uh yeah, for yeah. That. and so yeah. so so b i went up to bc and I remember the first party we again you go to party and uh matt ryan was holding matthias kiwanuka's legs doing a keg stand and <laughs> i said that's awesome like it just like everybody was there together yeah. like and they were like the guys who you see on tv were acting like regular dudes and like it was just yeah. it, it was it was cool so that so that was my kind of recruiting story a little bit a little bit uh unorthodox but it it was cool but it also like Again, you talk about going to college, like that initial experience, like doing that poker and what and you know, having the porn on, it just you're like, wow, this is a this is like a gut check of like this doesn't feel right. Yeah. And and it was uh you know, and and you know, that that was like six coaching staffs ago. So nothing as UVA. I still love the school, but like that was at the time what, yeah. what had happened to me. Well, it sounds like that experience also must have that sort of sets the bar to contrast when you went to Boston, you have coaching staff and then when you see it through that light of like the other end of the spectrum of, Oh, here's what things could be like. Then I'd imagine that makes you kind of more grateful and like really appreciate yeah. what Boston had to offer and that, that you weren't all sitting down watching hardcore porn together or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Cause before that you probably yes. didn't really think that that was yeah. like where the bar was set at. Right. Didn't really think that that was a thing that happened. And I come to realize that that's not a thing that yeah, happens. Like, right. That's not, like, yeah. that's not a normal thing. Only like, in you know, Virginia. <laughs> right yeah okay. a long time ago a long time ago yes 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 like, like asterix virginia we love you like wahoo wah, all that yeah, but like yeah. you know that specific room situation was not 
where it was at. It's interesting. Um, like when you were telling that, I was like, okay, these these players are either doing one of two things: either the coaching staff does suck, or they don't want you to be there because you're gonna take their right. job. You know, so like <laughs> that was my initial thought yeah. because I I kind of went through the same experience when I went on my uh, trips, particularly to Fresno. It it was not a similar situation, but I remember the quarterback that picked me up left me at the party, and I'm like, okay what's happening right now? <laughs> and he was, a, and then I remember another guy came up and he's like, he just doesn't want you to come here. I'm like, okay, that, well, that ah, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Now, so he's trying to get me kidnapped in Fresno before I can <laughs> sign with you guys. That makes sure would sense, be a shame so. if you like slipped and something happened to your ACL at that party. Or yeah. Something. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oops. Something would have happened to you. So yeah. Was that what your yeah. recruiting process was like that? Like what did you look at any other schools? But I know I've heard, like stuff about you looking other where yes well the uh it was it was not i so i i only took one trip to fresno and so i i was about to um i had i had a couple offers on the west coast and it was ucla washington and then fresno didn't offer arizona and fresno didn't offer me and i lived in fresno yeah um and i was kind of pissed honestly that they Mm. didn't because I was happy to stay at home and play um, because when I was in junior high, we, we lived in Fresno because uh, we went back and forth from Bakersfield to Fresno in the Central Valley. Yeah. It's still about 100 miles apart. But when we lived in Fresno, I went to a lot of the Fresno State games, a lot of their practices. I got to know some of their players. When I was uh, in eighth grade, the Fellowship for Christian Athletes came to um, – well, the they had a meeting I was invited to. And so I went – and there's like probably 10 or 15 of my buddies there, all football players. And Trent Dilfer was the quarterback at Fresno at the time. And he came and spoke to us. And I was like, this dude's pretty awesome. Mm. And he was he was a pretty passionate guy. And he was um, he was a great speaker. And I was like, and he was a, he was a Christian. He was a believer like I was. And it, there was kind of this weird feeling like, if well, if you're a Christian, you can't be a good football player. I don't know why I thought that. You couldn't be yeah. aggressive. You couldn't have that mentality, right? Some weird eighth grade thing that I was going through. Maybe I don't know if it was the church I was at. Or I don't know what was happening. But I saw him and I was like, this dude is the opposite of that. I want to be like him. So then mm-hmm. um, I went back to Bakersfield, went to high school at Stockdale High School. And then I was getting recruited and all these schools were calling me. And I'm like, I kind of want to go to Fresno. And they never, they never called. So I was getting ready to get on a plane to fly to see Scott Lanahan, who's the uh, offense coordinator at Washington. And I was probably going to sign with him. I was going to go on a trip to Washington. Um, And I was like, dad, why don't you just call, just call him, just call Fresno Mm -hmm. and be like, what's up? Why aren't you guys recruiting me? Or like what happened? And they had just, they had Jim, Jim Sweeney had just left. He was the old, old school coach there forever. Pat Hill was, um, had just signed there. So there was kind of like that gap, you know, Mark, like where there's a coaching staffs coming in yeah. and then they're going to, yeah. they're going to recruit totally different people. Right. So I just kind of got lost in the shuffle and Pat showed up at my house like three hours later, he just drove down and he still had his duffel bag. He had just gotten off the plane from Baltimore. He was offense flying coach for the Ravens before he took that job. And, uh, he was like, no, you're, you're coming to Fresno. And I was like, okay, great. And we ended up coming. Like he was right there. Yeah. He was so awkward. He was like drinking, uh, your grandmother's like, milk like off the table like i like, picked up her glass i'm like who is this guy and uh but it was great and he was he was super awesome but that was that was kind of my recruiting story i didn't have the i didn't have quite the experience that mark had but um i ended up taking i ended up taking that trip that trip that i took with fresno was it was way before that and it was kind of like 
you know, Sweeney left and then nothing happened. So I was like, okay, yeah, usually you get offered on your trip, but mm-hmm. that didn't happen for me. So I just kind of, you, you, Dave, have you ever like thought back or, or been to any of those other schools, like been to Washington campus and been like, what would my life be like? Oh yeah, man. I'd gone here. Well, and even crazy enough, I was, so I had been in Fresno for a couple of years and that same quarterback that left me at the party um, was the starting quarterback. Yeah. And we were competing like from the day I got on campus and I ended up playing a little bit my freshman year. And then my sophomore year, they wanted to redshirt me. And I, and I got upset. I was like, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not redshirting. I'm better than this guy. Yeah. And I'm dumb. I'm, you know, eight, 19 years old. I don't, I'm not, I mean, maybe physically I was probably a little bit better than him, but I wasn't, he was a fifth year senior. Like he knew the offense. Mm-hmm. Like, and so Jeff Tedford was leaving. He went to Oregon to be the offense coordinator at Oregon. And uh, Jeff was like, you should, you should come with me. And I was like, I'm, let's go. So mm. I, I was getting, I was going through the process of transferring and going through um, that whole process to leave. And then Pat Hill, again, he shows up at my apartment and he drives me around and he gets me on the phone, Mark, with like all these general managers in the NFL and head coaches like Bill Belichick, all these guys. Mm. And all these guys kind of went to bat for Pat to keep, you know, a, a guy around for him. And he was like, they would all just tell me like, it's not a great look if you transfer and you leave, like just stick it out. Pat's a good coach, blah, blah, blah. I mean, and it worked like he recruited <laughs> the heck out of me in that car. We drove around for like an hour and a half mm-hmm. and I ended up staying. And, but the good thing is like Joey Harrington ended up being like almost a Heisman trophy winner yeah. that year yeah. in Oregon. And uh, I remember I called, I called Jeff when I was still trying to figure out if I was going to leave or not. And he's like, there's another kid up here. That's pretty good. I want to just be straight up with you. Like it might be yeah. a, a pretty straight up competition. I'm like, okay, I'll just stay here. But right. it ended yeah. up working out. So you yeah. think Fresno was playing hard to get, waiting a little while to to offer you? They were playing chess. No, they're just dumb. No, they're just no, they're dumb. No, absolutely not. You give That's them too much what credit. They want no. you to think. Yeah, maybe you can say that now, but I don't think so. Yeah. Although I de- I definitely thinking back to college, I didn't have as cool a face paint as Mark. By the way, oh, I know my have, in my notes. Was... I have uh, talk about Mark's college drip. Was that what we were yeah, looking we at? Were looking yeah, at college drip. <laughs> oh yeah. And your NFL this is drip. Four yeah. people called it drip. Your NFL drip was good. Our boys was not good. DCA did not have NFL drip. Talking about? He was... <laughs> when I got to the Giants, it was better. So the Mark Giants was better. Giants was on. good. But Texans, Texans Reebok, was a little rough. Texans Reebok wasn't really hitting. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> When has Reebok ever been good at anything? <laughs> First of all, Reebok made some of the best gigantic baggy sweatpants. It was like, the, those, those like thick yeah. terry cloth sweatpants uh-huh. that I'm sure, uh, yeah, yep. Austin, I'm sure you have the hand-me-downs. <laughs> yeah, he might be wearing them right now. Actually. I think I actually am wearing some right Don't now. Don't stand up. Stand yeah, up. Those, those things were like unmatched. I'm like, oh, the quality is amazing. That's true. That's true. Uh-huh. So what, what, but, what, where was the face paint? Where did it come from? Like, yeah, so good question. Hold on. I'm going to, for people who. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you going to show us a picture? Oh my gosh, I thought it was this. a green screen the entire time. You thought he just had well, books. I thought, I thought he, he had a book green screen people. the entire time. You said nobody could possibly own that. Look at that, that man. Look at that. Yeah. So, so that's how. So basically, um, what what had happened was I was um, I was playing. So I'm playing football, right? And I am, you know, uh, a marketing major, and just you know, at BC and thinking, okay, uh, there is value in standing out in college football if really? you want to get noticed if you want to get on the rankings list whatever um and so you know i'm like however there's however many other white linebackers out there like big dudes who stop the run and you know how could i set myself apart and we watched so i um we watched uh 
the Dark Knight. So I guess what whatever year it was, two thousand seven or two thousand whatever came out. So we watched the Dark Knight as a team, uh, uh, the night before a game, and so the next day I was like, okay, I'm gonna like do the circles around my eyes like the Joker, yeah, because uh, I was like that was so bad. <laughs> so I decided I was like I did that, and then, um. So that game, we, there was a player, one of our wide receivers, Clarence Megua. He got, he got like cut in half on a, a, a crossing route and broke his leg, and he was in the hospital. And and so he had done like some triangles and stuff around his eyes. So then the next week, I was like, I'm doing it all together. So that that's when the full mask came about. And then I was like, it became kind of my thing. Mm-hmm. And so you know, you know, I, I cut it. my hair into a mohawk and did the eye black and. Uh, you know, I became the crazy linebacker at Boston College that will well, it worked. Take your head off, yeah. Destroy, yeah. It worked because we all knew, everybody knew who Mark was because of that, right? And that, that's honestly like working in TV now. That's so interesting because that stuff is legit. Like you talking about, it's like legit. I so I'll be going. We'll be going not to just sell myself out right now, but like so they'll be like, hey, what guys do you think are? good here you know college linebackers and i'm like i don't know but i know there's a crazy dude with a mohawk and like face paint he mm-hmm. must be good right. let me yeah, go watch right. him boom he's on the list on the nfl network as top five college i don't even know if you're any good right so that that's <laughs> right that's a that's a legit thing man that's uh and you kind of summoned like a brian bosworth like with the mohawk and then with the yeah. face paint was almost like the program you've seen the program it's probably a little oh, yeah. bit older than uh yep. than, than dark knight but have you seen the program, Austin or Noah? You guys seen that movie? I don't no. think so. No, I don't think so. Oh, I need to check that out. Little linebacker, very similar to Mark. But I'll just say I knew uh, Mark's uh, drip was lit. Is that's I remember I copied it when we played at uh, at, at the at right. our football games in uh, in New Jersey. Yeah, I copied in, it. Uh, I, I wore that. Yeah, that picture is so clean of me with it in the long hair. It's pretty sick. I'm not gonna yes. lie. Mark, Mark, still the greatest football play I've ever experienced in my life. Okay, so I'm walking up to that <laughs> oh, field, no. you know, that they used to play on. Um, and it's oh, it was it a championship game, Austin? I can't remember what. Yeah, it yeah. Big game. It was a championship yeah. game. Austin's playing middle linebacker, and I I walk up to the field. I'm watching, and I'm like, I'm soaked. And they're on the goal line, and this dude goes quarterback goes towards the pylon, and he kind of cuts back right into Austin, middle linebacker, right in his face. Explosion shot. I mean, all 500 people go absolutely nuts. I'm <laughs> freaking out, right? Because I'm on the sideline, and then I see, of course, his mom driving up parking. <laughs> she missed the greatest play. And she missed the greatest play I've ever she experienced. Play, you have to think about how I felt. I've been this height, like five nine, five ten, my whole life. So I was like, oh, I'm going to be six five for sure. And so I got to like fourth grade. I'm five ten, and it just slowed down. I was like, all right, this is interesting. Just tell Mark. Tell Mark point. what your tell Mark what your senior quote was. Oh, uh, it was uh, my growth spurt's coming any day now. <laughs> that was my senior quote. <laughs> and then Tyler's senior uh-huh. quote was his growth spurt still hasn't come yet. <laughs> yeah, it was. So we carried it on. <laughs> it was. It was. Uh, but like, it, it, you just you just got like short jeans, which because Melody's not short. Yeah, just, I know Dave's who gave short, it to me. Just... I I know who gave it to me. It's this dude's mom. It's, it's this yes, dude's I mom. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm yes, sorry, she's, man. She's quite short. We'd so. all be six eight if it wasn't for her. So. <laughs> but you guys have. Uh, That's funny. Like you guys have very similar careers in the uh, aspect. Like you guys went different ways in the draft or uh, got picked up after the draft. But you have very similar things. Where like you guys had medical things happen to you. Like you're early on in your mm-hmm. career, Dad. Right? I got diabetes. Like your like first two years in the NFL. And Mark, you want to talk about um, what happened to you? Because I know you started to feel a pain in yep. your left leg, right? Like mid season. Yep. 
Yeah. So no. Yeah. And and so like you talk about college again. This is kind of I I basically had two college experiences. Right. It was like college experience before I was diagnosed with bone cancer. Yeah. College experience after I was diagnosed with bone mm-hmm. cancer, and they were completely different. Um. And so uh, to to your to your point, just a little background. So it was my I just finished my junior year at BC, um, and I was uh, contemplating going out into the draft. I was, uh, you know, first team All American. I was ACC Defensive yep. Player of the Year, runner up for the Buckus Award. All, all the things that you know, you looked at. Okay, the guys who did that before you are getting drafted. Um, it was a heavy linebacker year. Like it was, you know, I don't know if you remember these, but like Ray Maluga, yep. Brian Cushing. Like it was a uh, Paul Plasliski. Like it was a big linebacker year so i had another year of eligibility so i decided i was going to stay um and right when i made that decision i started feeling a pain like as you said pain in my leg and it was my left leg and um it basically it 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 was residual um but also very acute so meaning like it would kind of come and go randomly it wasn't just through exertion but it was very uh pointed at one spot and it was it was that leg so um basically it was like six months of trying to figure out what it was um and it presented kind of like sciatica uh where you know pinched nerve and there's like shooting pain down your leg um so you know it, it took a long time and then they figured out what it was it ended up being uh, ewing sarcoma which is a rare bone cancer that I think one in a million people get it and the age range is usually nine to 19 so i was a little bit on the older side uh of people to get it and Basically, the you know they told me in that um, initial uh, meeting with the doctors where they put up my MRI and showed me the tumor, and they said that you know there was like a ten percent chance of survival if it spread past my leg, uh, and then if it hadn't spread, there was a better chance of survival. But I would never be able to play football again. Like I wouldn't be able to walk without crutches. Like it was like or you know if I did, it would be with a limp. So it was like a very uh, grim outlook for what was even possible. That's uh, an intense I, meeting with a doctor. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it was. I mean, it was like it was. But I it saw was like insane. the stages, right? Imagine. It was like the plan was like save your life first, then save like save your leg, and then the last was save your football career, right? Like that's how it kind of went. Yeah, at that point when that happens, how much is football even like on your mind? Is that something you're thinking about, or is it really just kind of survival at that point? Great, great question, and I think. Um, Maybe it's surprising. Maybe it's uh, not surprising. But football was like the first thing I asked about. So the doctor told me, yeah, doctor told me I was diagnosed, uh, and it was like, when can I play football again? Uh, And it was actually interesting. It wasn't even me who asked the question. It was my dad, which seems Mm -hmm. even like a, you know, more you know tone deaf to the situation. But he knew me, right? And I think that especially at that point in your life, um you're creating your identity as a man right and so my identity uh all the things i had worked for it was football um and um i definitely think my identity was wrapped up too much in football at that point but he my dad said when would you play football again the doctor said mark will never play football again uh and it was just it was that it was simple as that and i remember it was like the feeling of just falling back in your chair and not being able to catch yourself and yeah. just, it felt like a dream uh that was real and um you know that it was a driving focus behind um my recovery not necessarily because of the football but because it meant that cancer 
hadn't taken away my dreams, right? Like that was the biggest fear for me was, am I going to be able to have a family? Like, am I going to like, yeah, I love football, but like, am I going to be able to, you know, even play in the backyard with my kids? Like that's the type of stuff that made me nervous. And if I was able to play football again, of course I could play in the backyard with my kids. Yeah. So yeah, right. that was a goal for me. Um, and, um, you know, it was, a, it wasn't until gosh, man, you know, like my treatment process was over and my surgeries were over radiation chemo that the doctor even said like, okay, now you can potentially run again, uh, because it went so well. So now it was crazy. And in the priorities wise, um, it, you know, I had a decision to make at one point of my treatment process. Okay. You either do what you know is going to get rid of the tumor, which, uh, is you do chemotherapy, then you resect the, the bone, you take the bone out. So the tumor is gone. It's, it's out of there. Or, yeah, but that would leave a cadaver or like a steel rod for a leg. And like, I wouldn't be able to really do anything. Yeah. If it was uh, chemotherapy, then I could do chemotherapy, keep my actual bone and they would put a titanium rod down through it after, but they wouldn't know for sure if they got all the tumor. Wow. So like, because there's one in a million people that get this, most people are already that are still growing and not full grown because they still have the growth plates involved mm -hmm. with that. This was a very unique option for me. Um, so the doctor let me choose. He said, I'll let you decide what wow. you want to do, whether you want to go the safe, the more, you know, safer or not. It's just the more readily done route. Or do you want to do the path that, you know, is not really an option for a lot of people. We don't really know how well it's going to work. And my decision came down to like, am I, am I going to, am I going to decide how I want to die? Right? Like it is, if, if that's going to be a possibility, am I going to make my decision based on that factor? Or am I going to make my decision based on the assumption that I do live and how I'm going to be able to live? And I felt like the second option gave me the better chance of the life that I had wanted. Right. And, you know, the Lord is very good and, you know, led me to that decision and then was able to, you know, uh, allow me to be healthy again and to play football again and all that stuff and have a family. But it was, I, you know, football played a big part. Uh, and then in, in even the decision process of that to, to make me feel whole again. This is incredible. Like, I think that, um, I, I just can't, I keep hearing like during that whole process, even, even the initial comments by the doctor that, um, Mark will never play football again. Like that's, that right. has to be so incredibly motivating for just having known, I just because I know mm -hmm. you and I know that there's other people that I've met that are similar in, in mindsets, mm -hmm. just from a mindset standpoint, um, that had to be so in, encouraging, which is kind of crazy to right. say that, but right. like for me, it's, like, I, it, it's oh. devastating, but then it becomes like a challenge and kind of yeah. like a, a uh, like we're going to play a, a numbers game or we're going to play a percentages game or right. Are you going to know what I'm capable of? Exactly. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I always, I, I told, you know, a couple of people as I, you know, I tell the story, I said, look, the doctors knew cancer, right. But they didn't know me. Yeah. Right. They didn't know, you know, yeah, that's I needed them, but I couldn't do sure. it on my own, but you know, yeah. if it's possible, let's do it. That's awesome. Yeah. Cause that's, it's, it's such an insane story because you were diagnosed and then two years later you're on like the giants roster, right? Like it wasn't, it was not that long after yeah. it was insane. Not even on the Giants roster, like in the Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the craziest part. Yeah. Right. You're right. You know, it was a diagnosed in May of 2009 played again in 2000, 
10 season in September. It, like that was right, like three months after I was done treatments. And then the next September, yeah, I was playing against the Washington Redskins for the New York Giants. Yeah. I mean, as a walk-on for agents, crazy. Yeah, that, that's, it's so crazy. And like, like I said, there's a lot of similarities. Like you guys went through a lot of like these medical like in, in anomalies mm -hmm. uh, in the beginnings of your career. And that's something I was thinking about, like with diabetes and with your cancer, right? No one's really thinking about these diseases until they impact your own life, right? Like I, mm -hmm. we didn't know like what diabetes was. I don't know like any people have diabetes and I have five family members with it. Like it's it's wild. Mm -hmm. I don't, like you're the only person I know with that type of cancer, obviously it's so rare. So like that, what was that like for you? Like going in, like did you, had you known about diabetes? Like when I got it or like how'd that go? No, I had no idea what type one diabetes, type two diabetes. I didn't know the difference. I didn't know. I didn't know. I knew that like when I heard diabetes, I think I reacted like everybody else. I'm like, well, he's not overweight. Yeah. Like, I don't understand like what this also, is. Too, just think about what, like how old were you? Dave? Yeah. Well, I mean, so like there's, there's wild diabetes for us is like when, when I found out that Austin had it, he was, he was four. Yeah. And then so you were, forward, so you were what? So you were 22? I don't know. Yeah young right and we yeah. got thrown right into a class on how to give your child insulin yeah because if he eats anything that has carbohydrates actually if he eats anything because eventually everything has some form yeah. of sugar in it so it's going to raise your blood sugar um even just protein if you eat too much of it it's going to raise your blood sugar so he's going to need insulin instantly like he needs it like mm -hmm. right now and i'm like yeah. okay so we had to go through like a crash course of all this in the middle of we had we had just had um we just you know just going through a crazy football season so you got all that spinning around your head it was it was a lot to handle um and then for it to happen several more times and then even to mm -hmm. me later and then and then the best part about me getting uh diagnosed was that melody could now blame me for our entire families yes of course oh, yeah. the blame was pointed just, real quick the, after that happened the absolute <laughs> best and like I have big shoulders. I'll take it. It's fine. <laughs> so I understand. It's actually better that dad should be responsible for all that stuff. So yeah, yeah that was. But I, I learned a lot. Honestly, yeah. you were like the the test bunny there. Yeah, it was sorry, buddy. It was so but, odd, but I remember stuff like I remember like being so young, like having to be held down when they're trying to give me my insulin because I was like so young yeah. and so scared of what was going on. And then well, I had to give you your first shot because your mom wouldn't do it, and so I'm like, well, let's just let's get this over with, bro. And then we did it, and I was like, "Then go eat whatever you want." And he was like, "That's it." I'm like, "Yeah, well, for now, that's it." <laughs> yeah, right. I remember like yeah. mom telling me stories that like I just wanted to smell the donuts because I couldn't have them anymore. I like the grocery store. Well, I used to take you. Like, this is great parenting, but I used to take you to the donut shop when you were like two or three years old. Every uh -huh. like every Saturday, and so we'd go again. And see, we didn't know like you can still eat donuts, but you had yeah. to have insulin for it. Mm. And uh, I remember you thought um, that you couldn't eat them anymore. And yeah. you're like, can I just smell smell the donuts? And I'm like, that's the <laughs> so saddest sad. story ever. Yeah. Not only can you smell the donuts, worse. I'm gonna buy you. I'm gonna buy you 50 donuts right now, and you're yeah. gonna eat <laughs> every one yeah. of them. Yeah. Like, yeah, but he's five and self restricting, but just wants the the little just flavor in his mouth. Smell the donut because with, like, yeah. With to me, it was so weird because like I had it and I had it alone for a while. Like I had it for like almost like a decade by myself, right? Dad? It was like something like that. It was like yeah. nine or ten years. Yeah. You were, then, the, you were the sole, yeah, you're the lone gunman, bro. You're yeah, out there by yourself. I think having more of us have it was is scary, but also like reassuring because we knew what to do. But the scary part is when you start to see, like the scary part was starting to see your siblings have like the 
you know, like start to see him have like the symptoms, right? Like we knew Grace, like oh, something yeah. was going on, yeah. right? So, and yeah. everyone like in the back of their mind, you're starting to be like, this looks like what happened when I had it. And Grace was two at the time. So that was- Well, like- anytime like, yeah, any child that I even know or hear of like s- starts to like wet the bed way past the time when they're supposed to or like can't stop drinking water. And like me and me and your mom have gotten like text messages from people that- just because um, because our family, so many of us have it, and your mom does a good job kind of on social media of putting that out there and kind of helping other diabetics. Yeah. Like we'll get texts or phone calls. Be like, uh, we have a friend whose daughter can't stop going to the bathroom. She's drinking a lot of water. I'm like, okay. And you just yeah, you you almost just like, no, yeah. you take a moment and you're like, say a little prayer because you're going to need to be able to talk to these uh, this family and this these parents about something that's going to totally change their entire yeah. life. You know, and you have to remember where you were when that happened and try to kind of collect yourself and, and walk them through it. But you guys have been a great benefit to a lot of people, too. And yeah. I mean, like Mark, in, in his case, can't even tell you how many people that you've impacted, obviously, with um, with what you went through. And and uh, and then even with you, Austin, and the diabetics, it's like that's what it's all about, man. It's struggle. Like everybody in the in the world struggles with something yeah. like mm-hmm. we're not all going through this thing. If you're happy, man, enjoy it. Right, because it's not going to last very long. So you you have to find ways to um, get through things, and it's through community, yeah. it's through your faith, it's through people that have gone through it before that are there to support you. Exactly. So. That's I was curious, um, Mark, because I know uh, that battle with cancer had to be tough, and obviously you wear that sort of badge of cancer survivor like very proudly. Has that mm-hmm. always been the case? Because especially um, in the NFL, everybody has. A unique journey with lots of obstacles to get to where they're at or where they are but yours seems even more unique that you don't see many or any other guys in the nfl with that same story so how did you sort of grapple with that in terms of sort of a responsibility to kind of like kind of let, be let everybody know yeah yeah. Of, yeah yeah great great question and and i think it's um uh i know when i so when i was first diagnosed right i i just and i just wanted to look for an example out there of someone who had been diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma and come back and played football or come back and done something right because that would be like okay well it's been done before right. and you know i i uh, found some people who had come back and played volleyball which i actually got a letter from a from a lady um who had Ewing sarcoma and she did radiation so that that decision that i had to make that was kind of go either way yeah. she had written me a letter t- asking about ra- saying that she did radiation and she was still able to play beach volleyball and she was like i don't know 40 or something at the time and i was like wow like that's actually awesome yeah i then asked the doctor about that possibility in one of our meetings and that's how it came about so when i started getting towards the well first of all in the part where i announced to the 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 country that i was i did have cancer um uh, you know i had to do a press release uh a couple days after I was diagnosed and you know, my dad and, and BC helped me with that, but um, it became public and, and uh, got so many letters of uh, good and bad letters, quite honestly, a lot of people telling me their stories, um, but they were not, they didn't end well. Right. But so like, I don't want to read that. Um, mm-hmm. And very few sharing their stories and saying it ended great. So I guess I go through a lot of it. I, um, uh, I had, uh, read a book by Teddy Bruschi, um, whatever, I forget his memoir. Um, but it was, it was around him going through a stroke when he was with the Patriots. And so it talks about how he had a stroke after the Super Bowl, 
and you know had to basically battle back and fight back and it was like kind of the closest i felt bonded to a that a person's story that had done it before and come back um and so i had a couple of buddies who had played with me who were on the patriots at the time and i said hey if there's any way that you know teddy could reach out i would love to talk to him just about it long story short down my my pro my path very far in my treatment process have an mri mri comes back clean so for my first clean mri scan um uh, of my entire journey that same night i get a call from teddy brewski in my dorm and he just said hey mark you know uh, ron told me about what's going on I just wanted to call and offer some words of, of encouragement and I, so i shared with him that i had a clean scan and he was like man you're a survivor now be proud of being a survivor and you know in in uh kind of what that meant to me because you know i i was a very new christian at that time but i you know when you talk about being proud of your survivor you know, there's like the pride of like i did it myself and yeah. pumping myself up and that's not what it was about it was more so like let don't let your story die today don't let the fact that you got declared cancer free stop you from helping share your story and so that's what i took it as and um so that's you know that was kind of the beginning and that was like the motivation and push behind being so public with it um and then you know, that kind of went down the line and ended up writing a book about you know my journey and just find a lot of comfort and purpose in inspiring others who you know are kind of on the other side of that but Dave, dave's all like, good times don't last well bad times also don't always don't last right so like of that that hope that you need to have when you're battling anything so i've really enjoyed that and um you know, no matter what your story is right it's it can impact lives of people because even though you think you're going through it by yourself there's someone else who's going to do it after you was there a certain moment after you were signed by the giants that you kind of felt like not only was your battle like because up until that point the battle was still ongoing like the battle to beat cancer and then the battle mm -hmm. to make it into the nfl was there a certain moment where you sort of felt like all right i did it like you were sort of victorious yeah um yeah i i've told the story before but um you know the, the day i was diagnosed um uh you know i'm up in my room got back from the hospital um and just basically was like made a decision that i wasn't gonna let this beat me you know like that was my decision and so i walked downstairs and uh found my, my dad was sitting in the kitchen i talked to him i said dad i'm gonna be okay I'm gonna beat cancer and i'm gonna play football again and he came over and he hugged me and he said he said okay he said let's do this and it was like oh yeah like i can fight this with you like we can do it together um and and you know you talk about full circle like a moment where you're like okay now you know uh, we've done it uh <laughs> at the super bowl right and yeah. and you know the confetti streaming down dave and yeah and you know like you I, you know you probably knew because you were you know you'd been playing longer but like you forget like the family comes on the field after right and like my dad has uh you know like a, a very thick tom Selleck mustache right he's always had it since the 70s it's amazing and so like it's a great mustache i yeah. mean it's it's you know it sets the bar high for mustaches really um I see a must. I see this mustache running at me across of the Indianapolis you know, field, the Colts field, and like hug him at midfield. And he said, "You know, I, we did it, right?" Like that to me was like a, you know, let's do it to we did it type moment where, uh, 
yeah, it's not over, but you know, I've gotten back. Like, you know, I I could only have dreamed. I never dreamed of winning a Super Bowl. And so like the dreams are even bigger now than they were before. Yeah, and that's the that's such a great like uh, kind of ending for both of your stories. Like both of you went through so much, like dad in Houston, you with your journey and all that. And to finally like both of you come together on like one team and get that Super Bowl ring kind of uh, together. It's just, it's a great ending to an amazing story. That's why football is so great, man. That's like, it yes. brings so many different stories and people together. You're in the locker room as Mark knows with people that you would have, I mean, obviously me and Mark, maybe if we would have crossed paths, we could have hung out and talked about some stuff, but there's a lot of people in that locker room that I would have never talked to. Right. That went through some crazy stuff that have completely different paths um, than I do. And we were able to do that thing together one time, which is something you'll never forget. It's amazing. And how cool is football, too? Like sports in general, right? Yep. You, you, every, each team is different. Each season is different. But you work as hard as you possibly can for one goal. And there's a time frame on it, right? Yeah. It's not like building a company where you're like, oh, well, like if we get, if we, you know, do everything so good, we need to yeah. do by December 31st, we won. And now we can like start it over or take a deep breath. Right. Right. But like everything is just constant pushing to be better, better, better. With football, you're like, we did it. Like we did what we set out to do. And only one of 32 teams does it every year. And some never do it. It's just a crazy feeling after that, too, because like you said, everything else in life is an ongoing journey. And you're either continuing something or you're transitioning to something else but it's similar like with football after that super bowl like you had that moment with your dad it was like i remember in the hotel later that night i'm like there's no game to get ready for like there's nothing mm -hmm. else to do we've we've done it so people have this yeah. really crazy feeling of like oh that's that's it like there's nothing really else in the world where that happens you know except yeah. in sports it's really crazy and you can tell by the coaches faces right you haven't yes. seen the coach smile all year i haven't talked to half of you guys all year you've been pissed and angry and every time yeah. i see you and now you're hugging me like i don't even yeah who are you you know it's right. crazy yeah it's great i think it's wild that on an nfl team uh, every team's got 50 plus people on it and you hear about each year like a team wins the super bowl you hear about maybe two or three like super cool storylines from that from that team of like mm. players that they went through this or they overcame this but the reality is that like every single person on every team has come through something that makes like them getting to that point where they're winning the super yeah. bowl or even just playing in the nfl like super impressive and is that, yeah i know that papa car always tells us that stats like this many high school players make it to college this many college players make it to the uh, nfl and this many nfl players make it past like a year or two in the league so to say, so both of you are uh, analysts now, right? We got the NFL Network. Uh, I think you're with ESPN, right, Mark? Is that right? Yes, yep. sir. So I wanted to ask, both of you played for the Giants, and I'm a big Giants fan. I want to ask, what do you guys think about the future of the Giants? How are they looking? What needs to happen? How are we, are we looking out there in the NFC East? First of all, I'm very excited that you've maintained your your big blue loyalties. It's crazy, I mean, right? that's it's really good. I mean, they were formative years. They were, yeah. They were. You were in yeah in that little what what town were you guys? Were you guys in Fort Lee? Ed, we were in Edgewater. Edgewater. Fort Lee's Edgewater. 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 Yeah. 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 yeah, Edgewater, yeah, right yeah, there. Yeah. yeah, I mean, those are formative years right there. I'm glad you still love it. Um, I'll let Dave tackle this. Yeah, one so I think the uh, the biggest thing is well, you have a new coach in in Brian Dayball who was in Buffalo. And I think that his offensive system fits Daniel Jones perfectly. That's why they hired him. Because I think that there's mm -hmm. a feeling with the Giants that we haven't gotten everything out of Daniel. And we've kind of failed him in that regard. So what can we do? And for me, I think the move to bring in Brian is brilliant. He's 
if you're going to have Daniel play at a high level, this is the coach that you need to bring in because he has athletic ability. Now, maybe he's not Josh Allen with like, he's not 260 pounds. He can't throw it 100 yards, but he has other qualities that maybe Josh doesn't have right he has anticipation he has he's fearless as you know austin in the pocket he has eli's ability in yeah. the pocket to kind of almost be oblivious to it so what do you have to do with an oblivious to pressure quarterback like he has some fumbles he puts the ball on the ground but he yeah. also will hang in there right and mm -hmm. he knows what he's looking at you got to build a, a unit around that guy like the wall you have to build an offensive line that's consistently there uh like when me and mark were able to win the super bowl that offensive line they took every snap together for like three or four yeah. years. They had yeah. crazy consistency. You have to have that, number one. Um, and I think you give them a chance. So you got to go get a tackle. You got two picks in the first round. I'd say get a tackle. And then on the defensive side, you can get an edge rusher. Like what is the yeah. one thing that in the in the history of the Giants, when they have a good offensive line and a good defensive right. line, right. they win the Super Bowl. It's not that yes. difficult yep. to figure out, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that that's, that's a good start right there. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that, you know, Daniel Jones, he also, he throws a different football than it, it, which doesn't work for certain systems, you know, where you know, he can throw a, vi a very nice out route, but there's going to be a touch on it that is different than yep. a quarterback just throwing the, a laser. You know, you just, you watch a game with Eli and you watch a game with Daniel Jones and they could look so similar and they, but the way the ball comes out of their hands is different. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, Daniel, he, he's very good at just dropping the balls in where it needs to be. And I think that, um, you know, I think more of that Dable offense can work well with that. That being said, too, it's this is the year, right, for Daniel Jones. Yeah, for sure. Okay. This either works or it doesn't. Yeah. And we well, have know, every that, reason to succeed if they can do something exactly. up front, right? So, like, right. to your point, like, you have to, you have to, you have to get to the point at some point when you have a good quarterback coach and you have the right system, they put the pieces around you. Okay. Now you got to do it because yeah. if we have the same conversation next year, Austin, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I'll, I don't know if anybody will be able to go to bat for Daniel. Yeah. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So he's got to kind of, he's got to kind of go to bat for himself to Mark's yeah. point. Yeah. Yep. Especially in today's NFL when, you know, rookie quarterbacks so fast to be like moved on from like Josh Rosen getting moved on from in a year and stuff like that. Like they're so quickly to, yeah. if it doesn't work, it's time to ship the next guy out. Yeah, but Daniel's got talent. He's got he's got a chance. He's got a good coach. So get some pieces mm -hmm. in there. We should, we should yep. be fine. Agreed. Okay. Uh, yeah, you just want to shout your podcast real quick, and we'll wrap it up. Well, I mean, it's right here, bro. <laughs> yeah, look at that. <laughs> That's that background. Yeah, <laughs> no, even our yeah. graphic. Good, Mark. Yeah. Well, no, superhero dad podcast, and you know, we you know we kind of told a lot about our stories, um, and you know, it all those things occurred because you know dave and i and you know just from talking we know this like the whole point of it is to be able to make money to be to to be an example for your children right like that's why the things happen uh and you know that's why when you look back like that's why you're proud of what you've done not because of i did it but that's because of God allowed these things to happen in my life and I've embraced these things. So that way I can share with my children uh, the life that I've lived uh, and let them see it. And so I think that you know, what we what we have found is that there's just not an, a ton of resources out there for dads who, you know, just want to be want to feel comfortable and relaxed being dads. And it, it's like, OK, 
to be a superhero dad. Yeah. And and you know, our the our kind of tagline is we want to inspire men to put their capes on when they walk in their front door, not just when they walk out. And we as men have I think a lot of times traditionally been told, look, oh man, you you could do anything you want to do. You could be anything you want to be. And it's like, what if what you really wanted to be was a dad that changed the lives of his kids and his kids' friends? Like, what if that was it? Yeah. Uh, and so we, you know, we interview guys we've played with, other people in the field, some experts, because we certainly aren't those experts, but we want to kind of gather that information and uh, allow it to disseminate to people who, you know, think like that. That. And I would, I would, I would uh, only add that you're coming on the podcast, okay, Duke. So yes. you're going to get your brother Perfect. Tyler right. Cooper, and you guys are going to come on, and we're going to have a, a nice, good chat. You guys have to be really good on there, otherwise, people will think no. that DC was a bad dad. That's true. No, no, no it's true. okay. That's the point of the. I think that's going to be the best part about the whole thing yeah. is they're going to they're going to tell everyone how bad I suck at being a dad. So that's okay because everybody does, <laughs> nice. right? That's what we got to do this together. Yeah, <laughs> and figure it out, yeah. right? But that's but, and that's that's the best part about it, right? Yeah, you talk about your shortcomings as a dad because it's hard. Like it's it it's hard, hard. Yep. and you know, you know, you're, you're. I mean, guys, you guys are getting to the age, right? Where like you know, at some point, you guys are gonna have kids and think about like the priorities about being a dad, and that's gonna be insane for you and insane for Dave being a grandfather. Wow, and, you know, imagine that. Yeah, insane, but. It's also the, 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 this is a generation. And I think, it, you know, we've talked to this about certain guys. Like, this is the generation of present dads, like where it's expect, you know, not expected, but it's more so like, look, if you're not a present dad, it becomes obvious. That's right. Right. Whereas in previous generations, it was like, they don't change diapers. Don't yeah. do that. Like, Dad's working. That's what he does. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that it's, it's a little different. But yes, yeah. We can, we can be, we can be subpar dads and, Still want to be better. That's right. So yes, we That's need the, all the dirt. Yeah, that point. That's right. A little Eli Manning uh, car will be on the podcast. You know, whenever he's born. You know, whenever we get him out. <laughs> Eli Manning car. You gonna go with the middle name Manning also? This guy. <laughs> all right. This is also a perfect time because our computer just hit us with. Yeah, it's it about us, to die. It hit us with a low battery notification. <laughs> so nice. All right. Well, thank you all. All right, guys. Yeah, thank you all so much all for right. uh, being on. You got it. Absolutely, guys. it was a pleasure. Yeah.